1982, which is quite a long time ago now, 16-year-old uh, Stephen Jury was standing at the Baronia Station, a suburb of Melbourne, and that was where I grew up. And I knew Stephen Jury. He was a guy that I sort of looked up to a bit. He had uh, kind of a cool hairdo, and I got mine done the same. And he did jiu-jitsu, and so I even started doing this thing I couldn't pronounce just because he was doing it. And uh, I thought he was pretty cool, just a bit older than me. But in 1982, Stephen Jury, uh, 16 years old, he was standing at the Baronia station waiting, for the plat uh, waiting on the platform for the train to come. It was in the morning, early in the morning, and it's his first day at Box Hill TAFE. He was just starting a course there. And the platform was crowded. There were just people everywhere, commuters um, in their own little worlds. If you've ever been on the trains in Melbourne in the morning, you know what I mean. It's just packed in with people that don't look at each other and just have straight faces all the time, doing their thing all the time and, uh, you know, routine. And the toot of the train uh, was heard off in the distance and the boom gates began to lower um, as the train came towards this busy intersection just near the station. And then suddenly, without warning, a middle-aged man just fell straight onto the tracks, fell right forward and onto the tracks, right in the path of this oncoming train. And in the next few moments, people, as they took in the scene of what was about to happen, just began to scream. People in this crowded platform just started screaming as they saw what would happen. You see, what had happened is, is the man had fallen onto the tracks. His teeth had hit the far side rail and his teeth had sort of, some teeth had come out and his head was still over that side of the track and his legs were coming back over the other side of the track, right in the face of the oncoming train and he wasn't moving. He was out cold. And so as people screamed, as they saw what was about to take place, this man stood, uh, lay, staring death in the, in the face. Can you imagine what it must have been like for him? I mean, just an hour later, he was probably brushing his teeth and just kissing his kids goodbye for the day. And now his life was about to end. He became just a normal day and now he's facing death right there, head on. Well, the worst still is, I don't know whether he was aware of anything at that stage, but there was just a, a platform full of people that were about to witness his death as he lay there. And they were screaming. And just when it looked like everything was all finished, Stephen Jury jumped down onto the tracks in front of the train. And he picked up the man and pulled him off, not being able to drag him that way, he dragged him back and threw him underneath the platform ledge and jumped on top of him. He uh, told me later on that he noticed the man's foot was kind of lying this way and he pulled it back in and as he pulled it back in the train knocked off his shoe and just missed his foot. As Stephen came out with the man uh, both alive and well just cheers erupted right out throughout the whole place because a, a, a horrible, shocking situation that was almost certainly going to end in death became a heroic story that was retold over and over again. Stephen received 
bravery awards for what happened that morning. And that 16-year-old, his presence there on the platform had turned a, a, a certain tragic situation into a moment of joy, of, of uh, just incredible, um, you know, overwhelming happiness. Uh, what, what I want to talk about tonight as we look at these few verses is that I, I wholeheartedly believe that the presence of Jesus can turn certain tragic situations, uh, difficult, challenging situations that you face, not only to situations that you can bear and endure, but situations where you can actually find their situations of hope and joy and even triumph. You know, I, I reckon that the presence of Christ can turn our tragedies into triumphs, our tough times into good times, if we'll allow him to. Um, uh, I'm going to share just a couple of ways that I think that that can happen, that are shown in this passage tonight. And two main ways which I want to share with you. You know, I want you to notice in, in the passage that we read tonight, John uh, 20 and verses 19 to 20, that the disciples were gathered together in, in the room and they'd been so excited and they'd been so proud as they'd walked into Jerusalem with Jesus just a week before. You know, in John 12, 12 and following, it, it talks about how the disciples came in with Jesus and everyone was shouting, you know, Hosanna in the highest, a praise. You know, and they put down their, all the palm leaves and they sung praises to, to Jesus as he came into Jerusalem. You know, they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I can imagine the disciples feeling at this point, wow, gee, I'm so glad I left my job as a fisherman. Gee, I'm so glad I took the risk with Jesus because just look what's happening. You know, the crowds are finally acclaiming him as king. This is Jesus' big moment. We got with the right guy. He's the Messiah. And they, they, they were now seeing this is the moment. He's going to save his people. Now the crowds are all supporting Jesus and it's going to happen and he's going to be king, they must have been thinking. He could have enough support at that moment to kind of lead the Jews and to overthrow all the Roman authorities and they were excited about the building momentum that was coming right up at this moment. And yet, only a week later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples had just fled when the high priests and the Roman officials had come and arrested Jesus, they'd ran and they'd watched some of them from a distance as Jesus was stripped and as Jesus was beaten. And then as he was put to death in the most horrific way with, with crucifixion, as they, they watched that from a distance. And now all the claims that he'd made about himself, they just didn't stand up for his disciples. How could they have put such hope in him? How could they have given up everything to follow Jesus? They were probably questioning all they remembered him saying at this point after he'd been crucified and, and, and it all seemed like, a, like just a, a silly decision to follow him. They would have been remembering things that he said like, in my father's house are many rooms and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Yeah, sure, Jesus. You know, I'm the way, the truth and the life. 
It just didn't seem to add up now. I will never leave you or forsake you. And yet here they were alone, dejected. And it seemed like Jesus' mission had failed. He'd been so easily defeated. He hadn't muttered a word. They'd received a report from Mary earlier that day that she'd seen Jesus. She'd actually seen Jesus, but they were still filled with doubt. They'd been through so much. They'd endured so much in the last few days that they just found it difficult to accept any talk about that. And here they were, met together. It would have been exactly like this time, the night after the evening of the day of Jesus' resurrection. And uh, perhaps they'd gathered together because it was the first day of the week. And perhaps they'd been all just trying to piece together all the things that had happened over the days before. Perhaps they'd uh, heard the report of Mary and there were rumblings amongst the disciples and thought, we'd just better get together and talk. Maybe they were so grieved at what they'd witnessed in the last few days that they thought, we just need each other at this time. Let's, let's meet together. The Bible says they were scared. Uh, it seems they were scared. W- would the Jews come? And get us? Are they going to get us just like they did with Jesus? You now we saw him, all the hatred that was, you know, spewed out on him. We saw all the all the venom with which they killed him, and we were his friends, and maybe they might come for us as well. There was a rumor that the disciples had stolen the body. Were they going to come and get them? Then, in the midst of all their sadness in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their doubts, Jesus stands among them, comes right into the presence of where they were meeting. And right in those moments, Jesus turns their doubts into faith. That's the first point I just want you to get tonight. You know, the overall thing I want you to share is that The presence of Christ can turn really tough situations that we face into ones that we not only endure, but that we really, uh, you know, see God working in mighty ways through. And the first way that he does that is he turns our doubts into faith. His presence turns our doubts into faith. You know, in Luke 24 and 37, it's a parallel passage to this one. And it says that Jesus stood among them. And as he did, they were startled and they were frightened as Jesus stood among them, thinking that they'd seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why did doubts rise in your mind? You know, the word doubt has about it the sense of like confusing thoughts. You know, what's... How can this be? What's going on? What's happening? And they were unsure if this was Jesus. Doubts were rising in their mind. And Jesus responds by showing them his hands and his side, where the nails were driven in and where the, 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 the sword, the spear pierced his side. As he did that, he proved to them who he was. And when they saw, they believed. Opposite of doubt, 
believe. Before I came to know Jesus, I had doubts. I doubted a lot of things that Jesus had said. You know, I doubted whether he would really be with me always. If I asked him into my life, would he be with me always? You know, would he really hear my prayers when I prayed to him? Did he really have a plan for my life? Was he really the kind of uh, person, was Jesus the kind of person that I could entrust my whole life with? I never knew because I'd never actually given him those doubts and put my trust in him with faith. But what happened is as I took hold of God's promises and as I trusted in him and as I put my trust in Jesus and in his presence, as I asked him to come into my life, then the more that I trusted, the less I doubted. And the presence of Jesus in my life turned my doubts into faith. What about you? I mean, have you given uh, Jesus all of your life? Or are there areas where you kind of hold on and, and you kind of doubt that he can really be trusted in those areas? Maybe you'd never say that you didn't trust in Jesus, but your actions show that you doubt him. Maybe you doubt his presence. Maybe there's times when you're sitting at home and it might be a Saturday night and you just get the feeling that everybody's out apart from you. You know, the text messages have just stopped and no one's emailing you. And it could be that you start to feel like, I'm all alone. Everyone else is having fun except me. And I just feel like no one cares about me. And it could be that you start to doubt that even God cares about you. Well, trust in his promises. He's, he's promised to be with you always. This is what he says in Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. He says that where two or three come together, I'm in the midst of them. Matthew 18, 20. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, God says in Joshua 1, 5. You know, when you recognise God's promises and you ask God's presence to come in, doubt and faith. Doubt is replaced with faith. And you can stand firm in those times. When it comes to prayer, you can trust in him. He wants you to pray for him. Instead of doubting, you can pray and leave it with him and ask that he would hear your prayers and answers according to his will. If you don't know even whether he's real yet and you, and you don't even know whether you can trust him, well, we'll claim the promises of Matthew 7, 7. If you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Test his promises. Jesus' presence can transform and turn your doubts into faith. You know, I look back in my life and I think the more and more that I know God's presence in my life, 
the more and more, even the little things that I'm concerned about, I don't know all the answers to them anymore. There are so many things I don't know the answers to uh, when it comes to God. But it doesn't concern me anymore because I know God's presence in my life. And it's so great to know his presence. And faith has taken away doubt. What about you? Well, not only does the presence of Christ in this situation, on this night, so many years ago, transfer their doubts uh, and transform that into faith, uh, an incredible faith that, that, that would stay with them for the rest of their lives and that would actually help to form a faith that would, would build a church for the, for the rest of till today. But he also turns their fears into joy. Now, I want to let you know tonight that the presence of Jesus can turn your fear, whatever they are, your fears, into joy. Instead of being afraid of things, by calling out to God and asking for the presence of Christ to, to help you through things that you're afraid of, you can not only just get through them, but you can find joy in going through them. See, in verse 19... It says that the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. They were afraid. They were afraid of what might happen to them. Jesus' death would have sent fear right through these disciples. And Jesus again meets them. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. See, when they saw Jesus, they knew at that moment that all that he had said was true. Instead of it being all, uh, you know, questioned and lie, you know, doubt, doubting whether they'd done the right things and whether Jesus had, had told, uh, not told the truth, when they saw him risen and, and risen from the dead and when they came, they, he stood amongst them and when they said, peace be with you, they knew that he was the son of God. And all that he said was true and their fears were turned to joy. Jesus was alive in the flesh. It didn't matter now if they were put to death by the Jews. It didn't matter because they would receive eternal life. Because he'd risen, they would risen. They, they would rise too. You see, they were afraid, fearing for their lives. But after this encounter with the presence of the risen Christ, their lives were transformed. Do you remember the day of Pentecost where Peter, the one who'd fled and, and then denied Christ three times, he stood and he preached boldly. And he preached with the power of God. And he spoke boldly to the people who had put Christ to death. And instead of being afraid and, and locked behind doors on the night, he was saying, you were the ones that crucified him. You put him to death. What a transformation. The presence of Christ had turned this fearful disciple into one who would die for Jesus. You know, the growth of the church after they met with Christ that night, after they'd seen him risen, was phenomenal. 
from this point on, the church just grew at incredible rates because they knew for sure that Christ was alive and his presence was available for them to trust. They shared boldly and many, many of the disciples were put to death for their faith. Do you know, I think the presence of Christ had helped take away their fear of death. I've told you before that I, I used to lay awake at night crying in my bed. I used to say, God, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I, I used to go out to mum and dad when I was about 10 years old saying, isn't there any way I can avoid the fact that I have to die? Does everyone die? Are there people that kind of miss out on this deal? And I'd ask whether there was a pill that would make you a year younger. And I, it really made me cry. I cried and cried about death. I feared, I realised that if Christ really is who he said he was, if he rose from the dead, if he appeared to these disciples, then what he says is true. And what he says in John 14, uh, where he says, uh, I'm, don't be worried, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it weren't true, I wouldn't have told you, but I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I can know that with a surety. My fear can turn to joy. And now if people say, well, you know, if you don't do this or do that, thankfully we don't get that very often that they say, I'm going to kill you. Well, I hope I'd be able to say, well, look, I know where I'm going and it's going to be a great place. Even death is not the end for me. And I put my trust in God. For even in the face of death, I know I'm going to be with him. You know, my fear of death is gone. I don't worry about death. I spend each day trying to live it for God. You know, I used to be afraid to share my love for Jesus like the disciples were. And they were quiet, they were hiding away, they were kind of not sure about who he was, but the presence of Christ came and transformed them. And instead of being fearful, they were filled with joy and they boldly shared their faith. I used to be just the same. I remember I was playing cricket in the under-12s or under-12s, under-14s, I think it might have been. We used to go to Bayswater Uniting Church for the presentation and there was a guy who was you know, a year, uh, I think he was grade six and I was grade five. And he came to me after the presentation night because you had to go to church first and then you get the presentations afterwards. And he said, you don't go to church, do you, mate? And I said, no way. <laughs> I thought, why did I say that? You know, and as I was young in my faith, I, I, I was afraid. I was afraid to tell people about Jesus. But, you know, as I've continued to grow in my understanding of who Jesus is and allowing his presence to fill my life. But trusting each day in him. Uh, you know, there are times when I still, you know, feel like, <gasps> but I know now that he's, he's, he's risen. And I know now that eternal life and <coughs> living for eternity without God in hell are realities. And I'm much more prepared to share my faith boldly because I know it's true. So those times I asked, God, give me 
the strength and the wisdom to say what you want me to say in these times and take the opportunities as he provides them. I've found that if I pray for opportunities, God provides them. I find that he'll bring about the most incredible situations where I can share my faith. You know, the, the presence of, of Christ can take the fears and replace them with joy as you share with people and help them to come to know Jesus. You know, I wonder about you. Are there things that you're afraid of right now? I wonder as you think about your life, are there things that you're afraid of? Whether you're afraid of failing, the presence of Jesus can take that fear and replace it with joy. Are you afraid of an event in the future that might be taking place in your life? Are you afraid of whether you'll find a partner uh, that you can marry? Uh, Are you afraid of whether you'll have a job that can sort of see you through? Look, ask, ask the presence of Jesus. Ask Jesus to, to come and, and take away that fear and, to, and give it over to him. I used to be afraid of whether I could pastor a church this size. <laughs> you know, I was really thinking about it uh, before we came, Andy and I. And as I was wrestling with it, you know, and thinking, look, I, I, I've never pastored a church like this before. I've, I've, you know, I haven't done this. I haven't done that. I, I looked at all the things that I, I couldn't do. And then I realised it's not about that. See, if I could do it, then I wouldn't need Jesus, would I? And I realised that what Jesus asked each of us to do is to just surrender what we have completely to him. And look for him for the strength to do what he's calling us to do every day. And, you know, I still realise the huge significance of what my role is here, but I'm not afraid anymore because I give it to God and say, this is your church. I'm your servant. I'm willing. What about you? What fears do you need to give to him today? What doubts do you need to give to him today? You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, him coming to them on that night, means wholeheartedly, undoubtedly, that Christ has paid the price for your sin. There is forgiveness in Christ. You can stand before the living God as you trust in him, that he's taken away your sin. You can be sure tonight because Christ has risen that those who trust in him will live forever in eternity with him. Death now is not the end. It's just a doorway. It's just a shadow that we pass through. And because of that, because Jesus' death, because of Jesus' death, meaning that we don't have to face the punishment ourselves, we can live life to the full now. Trusting in him with faith and with joy in all the circumstances that we face. You know, there's a man um, and his wife had died and he was driving his two kids to the funeral. And uh, he looked at a truck which they were following and the sun was shining across the road and casting a kind of shadow of the truck on the paddocks that we were, they were passing by. And he asked his son, which would you rather be run over by, the truck or its shadow? 
And the boy immediately answered, the shadow. And the father replied, you know, Jesus was ran over by the truck so that we could only have to be run over by the shadow. You know, Christ has died. He's taken it all. We can live life to the full, facing our doubts with faith because of his presence. We can face our fears with joy because of his presence. Give your whole life to him tonight. He's alive. And live your life to the full because of all Jesus has done. Let's pray together. Oh God, we want to thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for rising from the dead. And thank you that your power is available to us right now. God, we pray tonight that you would give us faith for areas where we might doubt you. And perhaps just right in these moments, there might be areas that spring to mind where you've been tempted to, to doubt. Why don't you just give those to him now? Ask for faith in those areas. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that because of your resurrection, we know that in areas where we face fears, you can give us the strength by the power of your spirit to give them over to you and to enable us to find joy instead of fear. Maybe there's areas tonight that you just want to say to God, would you take this fear and replace it with joy? Oh God, help us to live every day, not in our own strength, but trusting in you and your power to transform our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bibles, um, why don't you turn to John chapter 20, and uh, we're just going to read verses 19 and 20. John 20, to 20. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, uh, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Let's pray as we continue uh, in worship. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we love you so much, God, and we, we just thank you so much that it is because of Jesus' death on the cross that we can come to you tonight and worship you, that you make the way um, to have our sins uh, cleansed and removed by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And now, Lord, we thank you so much that uh, he didn't stay buried in a tomb, Lord, but he rose to life. And we look forward to our resurrection into our new heavenly bodies, Lord Jesus, that death cannot even overcome us when we are new, Lord Jesus. 
And we pray, Lord, that tonight you would be with us, that you continue to teach us, that our hearts would be open, that our eyes would be open to see you as well. And Father God, as we, as we are soon to partake in communion, Lord Jesus, we, we just say, uh, ready our hearts, Lord God, ready our hearts to receive communion tonight, to remember uh, the glorious moment when you died on the cross. And uh, we just pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at that time, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lema Samachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up on a stick so he could drink. Leave him alone. Let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down, he said. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman soldier who stood facing him saw how he had died, he claimed, he exclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God. Jesus Christ died Good Friday, as we've just um, remembered together. And the reason he died was just for one, one reason. It was his love, God's love for you and I. And the Bible clearly says in Romans 6.23 that every person has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Uh, we've, we, we need to be perfect to have a relationship with God and none of us are. And the sin that we have committed has cut us off from a relationship with him. The penalty for that is is death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. And that's what you have to pay for sinning. Without Christ's death and resurrection, we would just have to pay the penalty ourselves before God. There's no other way. We can try and earn it, but we can never make ourselves pure again. And so Jesus came. He died in our place. He took upon himself our penalty, the penalty that we deserve for our sin, and he died on the cross. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, this is just a clear demonstration of God's love. It says, for God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why this table is such a special place. Every time when we come together, we remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he took our place, that it's only through him that we have any right to come before the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who reigns. We can't earn it. We can't do anything to be good enough for God. It's only through trusting in Jesus Christ that we're made right. So that's why when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're just so assured 
that we can come here boldly and, and thankfully before God. Because it says in 1 John 5, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. We know that if our trust is in Jesus Christ, we have life. We know that our future is secure. So as we gather around here, the invitation is those who have put their trust in Jesus. If you love Jesus and you've put your trust in him and you've said, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and taking my sin upon yourself, then share in this meal tonight with a thankful heart. Thankful for all that he's done. When Paul told us how we should share in this meal together, this is how he, he instructed us to do this. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received what from the Lord himself, and I pass it on to you now what I received. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup of wine, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you. Sealed by the shedding of my blood, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So let's be found at the cross again tonight giving thanks for all that he's done and trusting wholeheartedly in Jesus as we share this meal together. Let's pray as Ken, uh, Deacon, was praise for us. Thanks, Ken. Let's come before our Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is a privilege for us tonight in the, at this Easter time to come, Lord, uh, before this table to take these sacraments in remembrance of what you've done for us. Lord, um, 700 years before this event occurred, the prophet Isaiah, uh, through your Holy Spirit, spoke exactly about what would happen. And Lord, what he said describes just so best uh, what you did for us when he said, but you endured the suffering that should have been ours, the pain that we should have borne. All the while we thought that his suffering was sent by God, but because of our sins he was wounded, beaten because of the evil we did. We are healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. All of us were like sheep that were lost, each of us going his own way. But the Lord made the punishment fall on him, the punishment all of us deserved. So Lord, we come tonight in just so much thankfulness. We want you to know, Lord, that we love you and we are so grateful for what you did for us. Lord, we could have done nothing to allow us into the kingdom of heaven, but what you did at that first Easter time, Lord, was for each one of us. And Lord, we just do confess before we take of these elements that we have sinned against you. We sinned against you, Lord, in the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done and the things that we haven't done that we should have done. 
But Lord, we know we can come before you tonight, washed in the blood of the Lamb, the blood of your dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, righteous not in ourselves, but righteous through that event. And tonight, Lord, we just want to, when we take these elements, say thank you from the bottom of our heart. And uh, Lord, we just want you to receive all the honour and the glory and the praise here this night. In Jesus' name. Amen. God, for loving us and making a way that we can be right with you. God, we look forward to spending the rest of our lives trusting in you and spending eternity with you through all that Jesus has done. Thank you. Amen.